welcome to you both, to Steve and Debbie McClure. Hands up those who've never met them before. Fine. So welcome back. It's lovely to see you. I know it's been about two years since you were here. And Debbie, you, you, you were brought up in this church, weren't you? Uh, yes, this was my home church until I went to university, uh, which was quite a while ago now, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> well, y yes, you, it was a long time ago because there are three little ones and one on the way. Is that right? Uh, yes, so we have, uh, they're not here today, they've um, been offered a play date, which unfortunately was more interesting than church for them, <laughs> um, but Benjamin's just turned five, uh, we've got Naomi, who's almost three and a half, Sam, who's 16 months, and then uh, another little boy due at the start of May, so that's our right. family. Wow. It's lovely to have a large family. <laughs> right, I've got my questions. A great deal has happened to you both since you were last here. Is there anything you want to share with us about the two years and the things that have happened? Uh, so we realized that uh, this was actually Sam's first trip to Shrewsbury. So we've had a little boy, Sam, since then and another one on the way. Uh, so those are probably the two big changes as a family. Um, but then the other thing that some of you are probably aware of is uh, our work involves us going abroad every summer to Norway and then on to Latvia. Um, we take students that we work with, uh, with us um, and this summer, unfortunately, one of the students who was very dear to us and we'd known for three years, been in our house several times a week, sometimes we had to kick him out because um, he enjoyed it too much, uh, he actually died on the trip, four days into the trip, um, in a hiking accident. Um, so that's changed our summer um, and has caused us and those around us to go through a process of grieving for a young 21-year-old boy who had his life ahead of him, um, something which we had never expected, um, something we'd hoped we'd never have to go through, um, but something which uh, at that moment God um, chose to call James home. And since then, I think that's had a big impact on us, on our ministry and on our family, and some of the things we're still working through uh, that was in June when he passed away. Um, but these things take time. And just when you think you've made some steps forward, something comes up that uh, reminds you, actually, he's not here. And although we know he's in a better place, there is still sadness that he's not with us and part of our ministry. Yeah, when we were chatting yesterday, you used the phrase, a transitional and healing year. And I presume this is with James and with all the other things that have happened and the, the consequent angst and, and anger and, and hurt and pain that you went through. Do you want to share any of that at all or not? Yes. Um, lo losing James was obviously very difficult, um, but probably even more difficult has been some of the consequences. Um, so what happened to him has caused us to take stock and really look back at our life. And I guess we realized that we were pushing a little too hard. And so when, James, when we lost James, actually, we found it very difficult ourselves because all of that caught up with us. And then there's a number of things that perhaps we haven't dealt with in the past, um, particularly for Debbie, that have come up. And so it's actually been quite difficult dealing with that kind of stuff, um, as well as obviously losing James. Um, but then in terms of the ministry in Southampton, a number of our team are thinking about new, new assignments and uh, maybe moving away from Southampton. So there's a real sense of transition in terms of the work that we're doing. 
and obviously working with students anyway, we're always in a set, there's always a sense of transition. <laughs> Every year is different. New students come, students leave. On a given week, that can be true. We can have new people arriving. So, so yes, it is a... <laughs> A yeah. very strange time for us this yeah. year. You, you've got this lovely young family, which we met yesterday, and I asked you the question, I think, how do they manage when all the students come into the house? <laughs> they love it. <laughs> um, our two boys are extroverts on the extreme, um, and the students come in at 5 o'clock, which is when I'm normally kind of flagging, and they come in with energy, and they want to play with the children. Um, and... Pretty much all of what we do takes place in our house, um, and the students kind of come in and are part of the family for a few hours each week. Um, and that's been actually really exciting um, to see the children interacting with the students, and some of these students come from homes where they've not been brought up with Christian um, families or not had two parents around, not had any siblings. Um, and so actually it's been a really good opportunity to model parenting to godly parenting to students who've not ever seen that in action. Um, sometimes it has its challenges, disciplining in front of, of people. Um, but actually, the children really thrive on it. And when Ben started school this September, his teachers commented at how confident he is at relating to adults as well as children. Do you have people in your house from time to time? <laughs> and I said, well, in a given week, we could probably have 60 or 70 adults through our house that he relates to. And they said, well, it, it really shows. Um, so there were, although there are times when sometimes it feels oh, a bit, bit of a, a chore, maybe, having them around, um, people from outside, so his school teachers, are seeing the benefits of having, from day one, had uh, people to relate to, and like Steve says, sometimes we get students that we've never seen before, and Ben can just go up and talk to them, no problem at all. Um, and that's really showing, and we yeah, are very grateful for all the positives that they do bring. One of the things, are you, I know you're going back to Norway this next year, and you're going to take the children with you? That's right, yeah, all four. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to have a break afterwards? Uh, we will do, yeah. Because one of the things which I've found is that that break is more necessary than actually doing the work because that's the one that refreshes you and builds you up ready for the next step. And are you going to Strasbourg? Because you mentioned that some people were going to Strasbourg. Yes, yeah, so our, our summer trip has changed a little. So the involvement with Latvia has come to an end. We felt God leading us on from that. Um, but last year when the, when the trip kind of fell apart, uh, one of our colleagues took the team to France where, where he ministers and Team had, a, team had a good time in France, so we're, we're trying France again, um, but it's unlikely probably this year we will go to that. Right. Benjamin will be at school at the time anyway, um, so we're adjusting to having children in school now, which is quite, quite a change for us, um, but probably we will just go to Norway and the team will come and join us there for two mm. weeks. One of the things that I know, again, and Jenny will tell you the same, from our own personal experience, the support you get from outside is very important. How best can we, as a church, give you that support? Uh, we really do value people praying um, for us. Um, so there's a few things, obviously, baby due in May, that would be good to pray for, um, for good health and 
adjusting to having a newborn again in the house. Um, and then obviously going back to Norway, we're going to be taking people who were there this summer with us. Um, and that we feel we need to go back. We feel it's important to go back. Um, but also we realize it's going to be hard to go back. Um, and so it would be good just to be praying as this trip comes together and as people sign up for it that God brings the right people along. Um, but then there are also some people who feel they need to come and um, having had the year of grieving, um, they feel it's an important place for them to go back to. Um, so people are coming perhaps for different reasons this year on the trip, um, whereas before they were coming to do evangelism and outreach. Um, so it would be a bit, of, bit more of a mixed team, I think, this year. Fine. Thank you ever so much. Do you send out a prayer letter or a news sheet or anything like that which people can receive? We, we do, yes. And there is a, there is a uh, list at the back, I believe. There's a, t- there's a sign-up sheet there at the is, back. Yeah. So lovely. Now, can I just pray with you? Please do, yeah. Father, we just want to thank you so much for the work that Steve and Debbie do in Southampton and for the work they do amongst the students. And thank you for the thrill that they get when they know that someone is coming into a relationship with you. Thank you for the children, Lord. And Father, we want to thank you because they've got such a a family ministry. And that is obvious from what we've just heard today. But we do pray with them now that you'll be with them every step of the way. We pray for Debbie as, as the little new one comes along. And we pray for his strength, his, his health, and that, that when they all go off to Norway, Norway, that they'll have a wonderful time, both in ministry and in family relaxation. Father, we just bless them and pray for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. Thank you. For a second. Um, we now have our reading. Um, is that you, Tim? Spen, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. The reading is from Judges 7, um, reading from the second half of verse 8 to 25. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. The camels could not be no more counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend a dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, who God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them, with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, 
Then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands, and the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were about to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Bethshittar, towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel, Meholah, near Tabath. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of Jordan ahead of them, as far as Bethbarah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Bethbarah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. hear me? Pardon? Put your hand up if you can't hear me. Okay. I'm less worried if you can see me. I think I can see most of you. Um, I don't like having a distance between us because it makes me feel like we're on a different planet and we most definitely are not. Um, Okay, mighty warriors, I'm going to give you 20 seconds and... In that 20 seconds, I want you to bring to God, verbally or otherwise, just in, in the quietness of your heart, bring to God what you, uh, where you are in this whole thing of loving him and living his adventure. Bring to him where you are and ask him to speak to you this morning. 20 seconds. Pray now. Amen. Okay. Come around, we've got our first picture, please. Thanks. Some years ago, um, our family went on an adventure. Um, we climbed Pulpit Rock in Norway. And in torrential rain, we scrambled up waterfalls, we climbed rocks, and after four hours of climbing, we came to a narrow pathway. At the side of it was a sheer drop of about uh, half a kilometre to the fjord below. But the fog had descended, and by the time we got to this path, I was thinking, there's no way I've done this for four hours in the pouring rain, only to miss the main bit. I am so going along this path. So I strolled out ahead, 
um, in the fog. Um, the girls came with me, the boys didn't. Um, it's just factual, I'm not making a point. Um, <laughs> um, and I strolled out, one foot in front of the, the other, in the fog. And here is where I ended up. Now, as I got here, the fog lifted, and I could see what I'd just done. And <laughs> do you know what? There's no way, if I had realized, <laughs> that I could have gone along that path. If I had had clarity, my nerves would have failed, and I would never have got there. I want you to hold that thought as we look today at the story of Gideon and how God was victorious. You see, in our reading today, it's very interesting because Gideon isn't defending his territory. He's not defending anything. He's doing something far more radical. He's going out and he is attacking enemy camps. You see, there are two types of church action, offensive and defensive. One belongs in a cave and the other belongs in open battlefields and enemy camps where the God who calls you a mighty warrior equips you for the task ahead. You'd be pleased to hear that today I only have one point and that point is this. The cave is not an option. The cave is not an option. You see, if you love God and you want to live his adventure, the cave's not an option. Did you get that? <laughs> you see, the first kind of action, this defensive action, where we are defending our standing as a national religion, we are defending our good name, we're defending our rights and what we want out of church, that's the action of a cave dweller. As we saw at the beginning of Judges 6, the people are marginalized, they're, they're in caves, they're frightened, they're under attack from the outside world. In a cave, we look back to when times were safer, when the church had more influence, or when things were better for us. In a cave, we take no risks. In the cave, we keep doing things the way we've always done them, but we keep expecting different results. The cave is a place of spiritual stagnation. It's a place of diminished hope. And when we cry out to God from the cave, his reply is this. Don't you know who I am? Don't you trust me? You've seen my faithfulness. You've seen my deliverance. And you know what, people of God? I am doing something about the Midianites. I'm calling Gideon and anyone else who's up for it to throw, overthrow them. But none of you are going to beat the enemy by sitting in here. So the other kind of church action is this. It's God-ordained and it is offensive. Now, please don't you take offense at the term offensive. I don't mean it's rude and nasty. What I mean is it's attacking enemy territory. It is on the offensive. 
Gideon encounters God, he bravely tears down those craven idols the people have put up to try and control the living God. And he assembles a small amount of people to accompany him in taking on the Midianite camp. You see, I would argue that living God's adventure is primarily an offensive action. 1 John 3, verse 8, great verse this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. There's that lovely verse as well where Jesus says that um, the gates of hell won't be able to stand it when God's on the move. They just won't stand a chance when God is on the move. Do you want to see that, church? Jenny's convincing me. Anybody else? Do you want to see that? Yeah, I want to see that as well. Because do you know what? That's the adventure he is calling each one of us here to. The cave is not an option for his people. His victory is assured. Now, I have a question for us. I've been living uh, with Gideon for months now. Um, I can't get away from him. (laughs) He just kind of, he's the wallpaper to my life. And... um, (laughs) And I think God's been doing some very deep stuff in me. And I think one of the questions I'm asking myself is this. Is there an extent to which I prefer defense to attack? Am I really up for giving the enemy a kicking? Or do I just want an easy life? You see, if you are up for giving the enemy a kicking, then we've got some questions to ask, haven't we? Are you up for that? Fantastic. Brilliant. Because if you're up for giving the enemy a kicking, we need to know that God's with us. You know, this wonderful bit in our reading today where um, Gideon goes down to the camp and this guy is in the middle of a conversation where he's saying, I had this weird dream. I dreamt that this bread bun came and hit the tent. Didn't we have fun hitting bread buns at the tent at the 24 hours of prayer, by the way? I loved that bit, yeah. Um, But he says, I had this dream. And uh, his friend says, oh... That means that God is going to give us over to Gideon and the Israelites. We don't stand a chance. How very kind of God to give that assurance. How very kind to a man on the verge of taking new ground. And we need to know that what God is calling us to is of him. And it's not just some bright idea we've had. So how do we do that? Well, I think there are three tests of vision or of prophecy in general. There are lots of tests, but I think there are three that are common to most commentators. And we're going to run through them now. I've learned a lesson. Red doesn't show up very well. Uh, I've noted that. I won't do it again. Um, But here are the three tests. Is it scriptural? Has it been tested by the church? And does it actually happen? Does what God say is going to happen actually happen? So number one, is it scriptural? Well, Great Commission, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. as you go on your way, make disciples of all nations. It's an active command. Don't sit in the cave hoping God might do something. Get out there and gain some ground. Our vision to reflect the life that Jesus offers to everyone and to enable others to experience the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit will not happen in the cave. Okay? It's not going to happen in the cave. Gideon heard God's call and he discerned how he might follow it. Now, I think Gideon had some pretty weird plans. I don't know about you. What's all this business about you going into battle with 
next to no soldiers against a ferocious enemy with a bunch of ferocious camels. And what are you going to take? Oh, your trumpet. <laughs> nice one, Gideon. <laughs> your trumpet and your torch and a pot. What's that about? No swords. Um, but you know what? If God is in the planning, then that's okay. He will use it. And the funny thing about this uh, strange picture, torch and trumpet thing is that it worked. In the middle of the night, the noise and the sounds and the shock caused so much chaos that the Midianites woke up and turned on each other. You see, it wasn't that the Midianites didn't have the will to fight. It's just they lacked discernment when it came to who the enemy was. They didn't know who their enemy was, and they just fought. Now, don't you think, church, that we can sometimes be slow to discern who the enemy is? We can end up turning on one another. You know, let's not do that, church. We are family. We're called to this adventure together. Let's not be oblivious to the enemy's tactics. Because you see, he would love to divide Christ's church right now. And he would love to do that because he knows God is on the move and he is scared. But his time is short. I want you to say that with me just so we're in no doubt of that. His time short. His time, time is, is short. short. Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> you see, Gideon and his army trusted God enough to act. They didn't get the whole picture. But they trusted God enough to act, even though their actions might have seemed a bit lame to us. But God was victorious because the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the evil one. So that's number one. Number two, has it been tested? Well, in our vision, uh, we had a very rigorous testing process, I believe. It predated me, but I believe Philip um, had a hand in that. And uh, the whole church was given the opportunity to feed into the discernment process. And in recent weeks, um, a number of you have been feeding into uh, fleshing out what that vision is looking like in practice um, through your home group feedback. Thank you for that. Um, the results will be circulated by the way, once the series is finished. But what's interesting is that as God has given us this vision and we don't really know what it looks like, it's been great to have these stories coming back in because, you know, as we take a step in the fog, that is when the view becomes clearer. As we commit to living his adventure, that's when we start to see what that adventure is looks like. See, Matthew 4, if you've got a Bible, you might want to have a flick through. Matthew 4, calling of Peter, Simon, and uh, Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And um, Jesus says, follow me, and I will teach you to fish for people. They don't want further clarification. Jesus doesn't offer further clarification, but they follow him. I would say they got more information than some. Some people just heard, follow me, and they did. You see, vision is never clear at the outset. The ethicist John Kavanagh um, went to meet Mother Teresa and he asked her to pray for him that he would have clarity. And she said, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and he said, well, why not? And she said, 
Clarity is the last thing you are clinging onto and you have to let go of it. And he said, I don't understand. You seem to have the kind of clarity I have always craved. And she laughed and she said, no, I've never had clarity. What I've had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. Loving God, living his adventure, it's one foot in front of the other in the fog. It's trust, not clarity. Can I just say at this point, thank you to those of you in your home groups who have sent feedback in recent weeks, indicating that although you don't get the bigger picture, you do trust God and you can see he's at work. Thank you. That is such a blessing um, as we try and discern where God is taking us. Third test, does it actually happen? Well, look at the facts. Almost all of the home group feedback I've had has focused on our missional enterprises. It's talked about things like messy church. It's talked about life space, talked about coffee in the living room. And literally hundreds of people are being reached now who we weren't reaching five years ago. Literally hundreds of people. What's interesting about it, though, is that we make plans, and I personally don't think they're as lame as Gideon's, but some people might. We make these plans, but it's amazing to see what God does with them. We had a plan for some kind of coffee shop. God grew an amazing partnership with the medical practice in which vulnerable people are cared for, lonely people have company. It's just the most wonderful event, and it's only the beginning. We had plans for a youth club. In a couple of weeks, we're having confirmations and baptisms for unchurched teenagers who have come to the church as a result of the fact that God isn't growing a a youth club. He's growing church Mm. among teenagers. He's doing more than we could ask or expect. I just want to have a a, a word about that group of teenagers, actually. I think it's quite astonishing that we're at the stage where these baptisms and confirmation are happening. You know, um, I know some of you here are regularly involved in uh, the the life space community and the the young people there. I know some people have been along occasionally um, to that. Um, Do you know what? Every one of those events gives the enemy a kicking. Because in every single one of those events, young people are being drawn by the Holy Spirit out of darkness into light. Every single time. It's noisy, it's chaotic, it's unpredictable. You come out exhausted because you've been in a battle. (laughs) But you know what? Every single one of those events advances the kingdom. You see, because the enemy would really like to capture this generation of young people. He's got all sorts of dirty tricks up his sleeve. He's got promiscuity, he's got drugs, he's got alcoholism, family breakdown, despair, crime, lack of prospects. He's got a whole arsenal. And every time these kids come to space, the leaders are putting in a rival bid for their lives. They're saying to the enemy, not this one, no way. It's amazing what God is doing. Um, It's not the most, um, it's certainly an exhausting ministry, but I really want to commend that to you because it is quite astonishing, the uh, enemy ground that's being taken as a result of that. 
Um, I have to finish now, but I'd like you to invite you to do something. After we've been for communion, um, I'd like you to invite you to pick up one of these cards. Mark Underwood's home group has made them for us. The cutting out is my problem, not theirs, the cards they did. Um, but uh, I'd like to invite you to pick one up. It's, uh, it says, it has our vision statement at the top, in loving God and living his adventure, we will. And then it has on it our values to respond to the Father's love by being a caring community, by following Jesus, by reflecting his life, helping others to receive the life-changing power of the Spirit and worshipping creatively and passionately. I'd like to invite you to take one of these just as a marker and a reminder to yourself that you intend to live in a way that gives the enemy a kicking that you are not going to settle for the cave. And after communion, if you'd like to take one, they're just beside the piano on the uh, platform there, or they're on top of the organ if you're at that side. Please do take one as a sign of your commitment to live God's adventure as you learn to love him better. Right, I'm going to finish, but I'd like to stand, please, if you are able. If you're not able, please make a note to stand on the inside. Okay. You see, there may be a day when our courage fails and when the bonds of fellowship are broken. But today, by the grace of God, will not be that day. Today we fight. Today we are called to trust, not to clarity. Today we say that God is not finished with the Church of England and nor is he finished with Christ Church based in hell. Today we take enemy territory. Mighty warriors, we stand and we fight in the strength of God. Amen. Amen. Okay, please have a seat now. I'd like to run, I was preparing for this, that we speak very glibly about things like enemies being killed in enemy camps and things. Um, I think there are three different types of people we need to pray for here today. Um, firstly, if you are an intercessor, either publicly or privately, if you are a person who um, really commits to praying for various countries of the world or various um, ministry areas or areas of tension in the world, could you please stand? I'd like to ask you to do that. You don't have to do it officially, but if God has put prayer on your heart. Okay, everyone around these um, mighty warriors, uh, just either stretch a hand to them or uh, whatever. We're going to pray for God's protection on them and that the Spirit would inspire these warriors as they fight for him. We're just going to take half a minute to do that now. Please do take a seat. Thank you for your bravery and standing up like that. Okay. Um, there's another set of people uh, we need.